Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. As people age, they may face certain life changes that impact their mental health. Often, older adults with mental health problems do not get appropriate services and their care partners and families are unable to find the support they need. Today, my guest is Sydney Palinkas, Dementia Education and Outreach Coordinator with the Regional Older Adult Facilities Mental Health Support Team. She's going to talk about dementia and what older adults with this illness, as well as their care partners and families, need to more effectively cope and manage their lives. She'll also describe the Regional Older Adult Facilities Mental Health Support Team, and that's also known as RAFT, which is how we're going to talk about that during the interview. And she'll tell us how the program helps older adults with dementia and mental illness, as well as their care partners and families. So welcome, Sydney, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much, Cheryl. Happy to be here. All right. Well, let's get started then. And I alluded to the RAFT program already. I'm going to say it one more time, the Regional Older Adults Facility Mental Health Support Team. That's quite a mouthful. It really is, yes. (laughs) So talk about RAFT and give us a, a lot of details, eligibility requirements, our referrals made. What do we need to know? Sure. So RAFT, as we call it, is a program of the Virginia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. We're one of their regional projects. So while we're housed out of Arlington County, we serve all of Northern Virginia. RAFT has been in existence since 2008, serving older adults with serious mental illness and or dementia with challenging behaviors. So our clinical team, which is been around for 14 years, facilitates the discharge of individuals from state psychiatric hospitals to partner nursing homes and assisted livings. The team then provides long-term case management and mental health services to the individual and supports and trains the facility staff so the client can live successfully in that less restrictive environment. We also started a more community-based program focused on dementia, which I know we'll talk about later. The eligibility for the clinical program is 65 years or older. The person needs to have a diagnosis of serious mental illness or dementia with challenging behaviors, and it's often both. They need to live within the Northern Virginia region, which includes Fairfax, Arlington, Alexandria, Loudoun, and Prince William. They need to be in a state psychiatric hospital or be at risk for that hospitalization. And the referrals for that program are made through the county community service boards, which are in each of the counties of Virginia. And you can find more about that program or about our referral process on our RAFT website, which is www.raftnorthernvirginia.org. Okay, and we're going to be talking more about the RAFT program in connection with uh, dementia, as we had mentioned earlier. But I want to take a step back uh, and talk a little bit more about mental health, as I had mentioned in the introduction. Explain to us what are some of the common mental health challenges that older adults have. Expand on what I had said in the intro. 
Yeah, and I think it's things aren't too different for older adults compared to younger adults. And some of the most common mental health challenges are depression and anxiety. Some people might have struggled with these their entire lives, and that continues on as they get older. And for other people, they actually start experiencing depression and anxiety for the very first time as they get older. But we know that older adults are actually dying by suicide at disproportional rates to younger adults. So we really need to take those challenges seriously. And I was wondering about the attitudes about mental health in general, which there seems to be a lot of sometimes in terms of treatment availability, but also ageism. Do these two factors impact the the care and treatment of older adults uh what do we need to know there absolutely so you know first off ageism i think is a very big challenge a lot of people think that depression and sadness and loneliness are all normal for older adults that they're just normal parts of the aging experience so those symptoms are often ignored they're undertreated, they're dismissed, but they're really not normal parts of aging. There are many risk factors for depression that are correlated with aging. So things like losing your mobility, your ability to drive, your ability to move around freely, grief, losing a loved one, losing a spouse, losing your sense of purpose, which can happen sometimes with retirement for people, you know, as their their lives change and their daily lives change, that can bring on a lot of emotions. Not being able to drive anymore and not being in a place where they have good access to transportation can lead to social isolation. So there are a lot of risk factors for older adults, and I don't want to underplay that, but a lot of those are a lack of resources. And depression is not the same as the regular grief or maybe blues that we experience after retiring or some of those normal life changes. It's really a medical condition that is very real and very treatable. So thinking that it's a normal part of aging is doing a disservice to older adults. And I also think, as you mentioned, the stigma around mental health also plays a large part around people getting treatment. So individuals, you know, of all ages, but especially some of the older generation may not be as used to discussing their mental health and going to speak with a therapist may feel very scary. It feels like a very foreign concept to people sometimes, especially, you know, we've seen this a lot with male clients, especially veterans that feel like they need to be strong and asking for help in that way is feels like a weakness to them. I think we've seen some of that stigma around talking about mental health lessen a bit after the COVID-19 pandemic, but we still have a long way to go for sure. Now, you had mentioned a little bit, and I'd like you to expand on that, about the barriers. Uh, Are there other barriers that uh, adults face in seeking mental health support? Um, And I'm thinking, especially since this program is not only broadcast in the Virginia area, but uh, around the country, perhaps, that it could be transportation or lack of of resources. What are some of the things that, that you've seen or have talked with your colleagues who are also in the mental health field are concerned about in terms of helping older adults get the help that they need? 
Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of those points already, but I think stigma, of course, is a big one, which we already talked about that older adults face in seeking treatment. Not maybe they don't feel that stigma, but that stigma is there from their peers. Transportation is a huge, huge factor as people are no longer driving not being able to get where they need to go can be a big challenge, especially if they're not in an area that has easy access to transportation. And you know, sometimes things seem easy to us if we're more mobile, but for folks that are having trouble walking or might have some mobility issues, even a bus stop at the end of the road is not necessarily accessible transportation. So for older adults in rural areas, this is especially a challenge. Now, with COVID, we had a little bit of a benefit because a lot of providers were starting to offer telehealth options. So older adults were able to access um, their medical appointments, including mental health appointments online. But some of this has rolled back a little bit in terms of what's allowed after the COVID-19 pandemic is, is sort of phasing out here. But even telehealth options can be difficult if someone doesn't have access to that technology or doesn't know how to use it properly. And then that's still a very big struggle. I know language barriers can be a factor for people of all ages, but also older adults, maybe that have moved to the US later in life. And we also know that there's not as many mental health clinicians who specifically specialize in the needs and experiences of older adults. You know, in some parts of the country, especially rural areas, it can be very, very difficult to find a mental health clinician. You know, I've talked to people who they find one that's in their area that takes their insurance that is someone that they'd want to talk to and then that person is an hour away. And that can just be, of course, a big barrier and sometimes feel maybe not even not even worth it for the person with all those barriers. So many factors to consider. So, well, I want to turn to the RAFT Dementia Support Program. You mentioned it a little earlier. Tell us more about that and why it's needed. Yeah, so we're really excited about this program. As I said, the clinical program has been around for quite a long time supporting folks that have serious mental illness or dementia with challenging behaviors and supporting those folks in nursing homes or assisted living. But the new Raft Dementia Support Program was just started in January of this year. So we are hot off the presses, as I say, and I was brought on um, to work on this program and do outreach for this program. I'm really excited about it. So we are serving individuals living with dementia and their caregivers in their own homes in the community. So many families get this dementia diagnosis and they really don't understand it. They're not given a lot of information about what it means. Oftentimes they're struggling to help manage some of the challenging behaviors that come with dementia, like aggression, wandering, shadowing a caregiver. And our goal is to build up that caregiver skill set, give them the tools and the education that they need to be successful, the resources that they need to be successful so they can take care of their loved one and take care of themselves. We know that one in 10 older adults are living with dementia and that number is just going up. And caregivers are experiencing extremely high rates of stress. Um, individuals are often with dementia ending up in state psychiatric hospitals because of these challenges. And these, of course, are not always the most appropriate settings for people. We want them to be 
safe and successful in the community with their caregivers. I've had a lot of caregivers call me up in tears, not sure if they're able to handle things anymore, not sure if they can handle this role as a caregiver. So the big goal of our program is to help reduce that caregiver stress and build up their caregiver resilience. And would you say that dementia is misunderstood based on what you just uh, explained? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about dementia. I think the biggest one that I hear is that the terms dementia and Alzheimer's are interchangeable. People use those two words as if they're the same and they're really not and that causes a lot of confusion. So dementia is an umbrella term used to describe many different conditions and diseases. Alzheimer's disease is one form of dementia. It's one of the most common forms, the one that you probably know the most, but there's many other forms, including vascular dementia, which can be caused by strokes or cardiovascular disease, Lewy body dementia, frontotemporal lobe dementia, Parkinson's disease with dementia, dementia caused by traumatic brain injury, many, many more. I won't just continue on listing them, um, but all of these forms of dementia present differently. And sometimes people actually will have multiple forms, um, which we call mixed dementia. Another misconception is that dementia is all about memory loss. And while of course that is a big piece of it, there's much more than that. And not knowing all these other pieces can be a challenge for caregivers when they get this diagnosis and then it looks so different. So dementia affects people's language abilities. So their ability to recall words, to understand words, and to even put a sentence together, which of course makes communication very difficult. It affects people's judgment and their problem solving skills. So people aren't able to do complicated tasks and they might not be able to assess for safety or risk anymore. So you might start noticing someone making very poor or even very dangerous decisions. It affects people's vision. So individuals with dementia will often lose their peripheral vision and lose that depth perception. Fine and gross motor skills are affected. So things like writing, buttoning a shirt, walking, getting in and out of bed are all impacted. And dementia also affects people's mood and behavior. So you might see someone with very big mood swings, big changes to their personality. And individuals will even experience sometimes hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia, all of which families don't always expect and can be really difficult for families to handle. And lastly, we often hear that dementia is not, or that dementia is a normal part of the aging process, which it is not. It's not inevitable that as you get older, you're going to get dementia. And what I'm hearing you saying is, is that given the description of all of these symptoms, that's very different than just some memory changes and sometimes an inability to find your keys or you can't remember when you walked into the room what you were going to do and that. We all experience changes to our memory and our ability to process information quickly as we age. We, you know, as you said, we, you walk into a room and you think, what am I doing in here? Why did I go in here? Or we forget someone's name for a second. We've all had those embarrassing moments. We forget where you put your keys or we 
get a new electronic device and we take a long time to figure out how to use it. I always joke I had to get a, an iPhone for this job and it took me way too long to figure out how to silence it. I had too many meetings that were interrupted because of that. Or sometimes we forget the word for something. All of those are normal parts of aging. But dementia is when these changes actually start to interfere with your daily life. So this would be going for a walk in your neighborhood and getting lost, not being able to find your way home when you've lived there for years, forgetting someone significant in your life or a significant event like a car accident or the fact that you went on a trip last week. Now, we all get confused sometimes about the day of the week. I woke up this morning and had a second where I thought it was Friday and that was sad, but it wouldn't be normal to not remember the year or the time of year. You know, if I had woken up this morning and thought that Christmas was right around the corner, that would not be a normal part of aging. Losing things is normal. It's a normal part of our lives, but it becomes worrisome when we can't retrace our steps and figure out where we left things. So that ability to wayfind. You know, again, we all forget the words, you know, words for things here and there. We kind of stumble in our speech, but it's a concern when we actually can't put a sentence together or we can't understand normal parts, um, normal language. And finally, not remembering how to do everyday tasks is definitely not a sign of normal aging. So, you know, if I woke up this morning and I couldn't remember how to brush my teeth or what I was supposed to do in the shower, that would not be a normal part of aging. And I was wondering, Sydney, just as a follow-up question to that, is it recommended that if people, uh, an older adult family member is is showing many of these more serious uh, symptoms that getting the diagnosis affirmed or confirmed with a physician is probably the best next step if there is a, a suspicion that dementia might be occurring? Absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes people don't find the value in that diagnosis, but it's really, really important to get. First off, because there's a lot of different things that can look like dementia and look like these memory changes or behavioral changes, but they're actually very treatable and reversible conditions. So for instance, medication side effects, a urinary tract infection can cause delirium, which can show up in a lot of these same ways. So going to your doctor, figuring out what's going on, whether it is dementia or it's not dementia, it might be something that is very, very treatable. You really want to make sure that you go to the doctor and you get yourself checked out or your loved one checked out. Okay. Well, I want to get back to the RAFT program, the RAFT Dementia Support Program, and learn a little bit more about the people, yourself, I'm assuming, but others on your team, as I understand it, are called the RAFT Dementia Specialists. Explain to the to our listeners what or who who are RAFT Dementia Specialists, what is their role? Give us a little bit of information about their professional and education background. 
Yeah, so I am actually not one of the RAF Dementia Specialists. I am the RAF Education Outreach Coordinator. So I get to go and tell people about this wonderful program, talk to people as they are referred to the program, and then hand it off to one of our three wonderful dementia specialists on our team. And they're the ones that are working directly with families in the dementia support program. They're all certified dementia practitioners, and they have varied backgrounds, but all of them have worked many years with individuals with dementia and in the mental health field. So they would work directly with families in their homes, um, caring for the families of the person caring for someone with dementia. They'd provide education and support and really help the family better understand the dementia and better manage those challenging behaviors. And again, they're working to reduce that caregiver stress and build up that resilience. So when they work with the families, do they go over to the people's house? Do they meet with the family and the individual maybe who has the dementia? How often do they meet with the, the, the specialists, meet with families? Give us a little more information about that. Yeah, so yes, they meet in person, they'll go right to the home. Sometimes it's a mix of in-person and virtual meetings because we'll have caregivers that are caring for someone, but the caregiver is actually out of state or further away. So we're able to accommodate that. And we know that caregivers are often living their own very busy lives. So sometimes the caregivers are working full time in addition to this so we can work around their schedule. We're generally working with people about once a week for about three months, but sometimes this ends earlier, sometimes it continues on later. So they'll meet in the homes. The specialists will really get to know the families, get to know the caregivers and get to know the person living with dementia. They might provide education on dementia, how it affects the brain, tips on communicating with someone with dementia and how the disease might progress. So some of the things that the family might wanna start planning for. Sometimes they provide really practical tips to help prevent um, the loved one from wandering. So it could be things like putting a black rug in front of your door, signs on the door, alarms on the door, locks in the door. Sometimes it's connecting them to resources, things like adult day, home health, caregiver support programs, veterans programs. There's a lot of resources out there and they can be really difficult to navigate. So helping families understand what's out there, what they're eligible for, and maybe sometimes helping them see the value in getting that help. And our team also really focuses on non-pharmacological ways to help manage some of the challenges that come with dementia. So an example of that, we had a client, she was experiencing a lot of anxiety. She was shadowing her caregiver. So that's the, our fancy term for kind of following her, her daughter around, right? She felt comfort in being close to her daughter, who was her main caregiver. So she was following her daughter you know, into the bathroom, into the shower, to the point where her daughter just didn't have a moment, a moment alone. And that was, of course, starting to get a little bit difficult for her daughter as well. So in thinking of ways to help her manage that anxiety, we found out that she used to love to paint. She had stopped painting because of the Parkinson's disease and the tremors had been too difficult for her to paint. But our dementia specialist who was working with her, who's also pretty crafty and creative herself, was able to find an adaptive way for this client to continue painting. And that was a nice way for her to help 
ease that anxiety and have a nice outlet. Well, and this is very helpful. And we're, we're going to ask a few more questions in the second half of the interview about the interaction of raft dementia specialists and their caregivers and individuals with, uh, with dementia. But we're going to take a short break right now. And in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Sydney Palinkas, who is the Dementia Education and Outreach Coordinator with RAFT, which is the Regional Older Adult Facilities Mental Health Support Team. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are having a great discussion about a program called RAFT with uh, Sydney Palinkas, who is the Dementia Education and Outreach Coordinator with this program. And we'll be giving the, the name again frequently. But Sydney, during the first half, we talked about dementia specialists and working with families. But I'd like to take a step back now and have you explain to our listeners, how can folks learn about this program? Where, give that website again. Do they have to call up somebody uh, in your program or what's the process? Yeah, so we want to make this process as easy as possible. So people can go on the website and learn more about the program at www.raftnorthernvirginia.org. You can learn about the program there. There's also an online form that you can fill out if you want to make a referral. And anyone can make that referral. It can come from a professional, a partner, a friend, a caregiver. And sometimes we get referrals from the person living with dementia themselves. But if for any reason that online form is not accessible technology-wise or just feels daunting, people can always call me directly at 703-814-2701, and we can go through that referral process over the phone. Either way, if you make a referral either online or by phone, you'll be hearing from me. I will be answering any questions that you might have, getting some more information from you, and opening up um, the case for you and handing it over to one of our dementia specialists, as we talked about before. They would set up that first meeting, get to know the families, get to know the person living with dementia, find out what some of those big challenges that they're having are, you know, what are the, the things that are making this caregiver say, whew, I'm not sure if I can do this. I don't know if I can properly care for my loved one and care for myself in a safe and effective way. And then we create a care plan um, with the family and kind of go through that. And, you know, as I said, we generally meet with people for about three months. Sometimes it's a little bit shorter. Sometimes it's a little bit longer, just depending on the situation. And as this program, uh, as there's the collaboration and partnership between the specialists and the family, the, the person who has the dementia, 
What are some of the common challenges that occur both together in terms of the partnership and even for the the caregivers um, who are participating in, in the RAFT program? What have you seen? Yeah, so caregivers are experiencing a lot of stress and burnout. And some of this is because they don't know enough about the disease. As we talked about before, dementia can be um, very misunderstood. There's not a lot of information about it. And some of the big challenges that people experience might be wandering. So we, we have someone in our program, she was leaving her home every single night in the middle of the night and leaving the house and actually heading to 7-Eleven every single night to the point where the people at 7-Eleven all knew who she was. So figuring out how to stop that wandering was a big part of what the specialist did with them. Some people experience a lot of aggression, whether that's physical or verbal, agitation or anxiety. We hear about people who shadow their caregiver, so following their caregiver around And all these challenges can make it really hard for someone to have in-home help or to attend a day program, which of course further increases caregiver stress and burnout. And we've really seen a broad, broad range of problems. You know, the, the woman who was wandering every day, I had someone who her and her husband who had dementia were living with their grandchildren and their children. And he didn't recognize the grandkids anymore and wasn't able to be the same loving, patient grandfather that he used to be and would sometimes say kind of mean things to the grandkids and they were too young to really understand it. So we were working with them to have how to talk and communicate with the grandkids, how um, to kind of help that relationship so they didn't get a, a negative idea of their grandpa. We had another couple and her husband also living with dementia would get really irritable and upset anytime anyone came over the house anytime he had to go anywhere and anytime his wife went anywhere he really just wanted things to be the same he didn't want any of these changes which is definitely part of the disease but this also made his wife's social network very, 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 very small. She couldn't have anybody over. She couldn't go anywhere. And that was becoming a big, big issue for her. So we really see a broad range of the types of challenges. A couple of, of, of thoughts here. Is, is it possible for the caregivers to manage these challenging behaviors? I'm thinking that Maybe there might be actual physical harm, perhaps, depending on what the circumstances are. So that's kind of the first question. And then I was also wanting to kind of have a follow-up question about the caregivers as to support for them as part of this program. Yeah, so that's a, a great question. You know, sometimes... It is a really physically aggressive situation and we will do everything we can to help that caregiver manage that aggression. And sometimes it really can be managed and I can talk about that. And sometimes it turns out that this might not be the best situation. This person isn't able to be safe at home. Their caregiver isn't able um, to safely care for them. So we, you know, we will help them talk about other options getting another caregiver either in the home or maybe starting to think about assisted living or nursing homes. And you know, ways to manage it, it's a lot of it is how we think about these challenging behaviors and remembering that all of our behaviors are forms of communication. 
So people are trying to express some need and they don't have the tools to express it verbally anymore and it's really coming out as behaviors. So one of the things that can be helpful is for caregivers to track those behaviors to better understand what came before, so what maybe triggered it and what came after. And sometimes we have to be kind of like detectives to figure that out. And it, sometimes it can be simple. You know, we had someone in our clinical program, so she was living in a facility, but she was getting really upset every day, very agitated. And it turned out it was the big industrial floor cleaner that she, the sound really, really triggered her and would make her very upset and agitated which that was actually kind of a, a simple fix once we figured out that that was the problem. And if someone's behavior dramatically changes, sometimes it's really important to make sure that it's not just medication side effects or an infection that might be causing that issue. Now, this is all easier said than done, but it's important to remember to not take things that someone with dementia says personally. This can be really, really hard if we love them and they're saying mean or difficult things, but it's the disease talking, it's not them. And it's helpful to not correct or criticize or argue with someone with dementia. This is only gonna cause frustration. You're never gonna win that argument. And we try to help caregivers really understand that they sometimes have the ability to escalate or de-escalate these situations depending on how they react. To that point then, given what you just described, are there recommendations that the specialists make for getting some support for the caregivers? Absolutely. So our caregivers are experiencing a lot of stress and whether or not you, you know, have all of the tools to understand dementia and manage these behaviors, it's still going to be a really difficult journey to be a caregiver, especially a full-time caregiver, so for someone living with dementia. So we can help connect them to caregiver support groups, to individual therapy, and make sure they have all of, um, all of those resources as well. Okay. You had mentioned a little bit before about the eligibility requirements. So let's let's go through that again for the RAF Dementia Support Program. And then I didn't ask if there was a cost to participate in the program. So just help us learn a little bit more again about what, what that process is in, in some of the other areas here. All right. Well, I'm glad you asked about cost. That is one of the things I always forget to mention because it's free. Uh, so I always kind of bypass that part, but it's people's most important uh, thing that they want to hear about that is absolutely free to be part of this program. We do not talk about insurance. It's 100% free. So eligibility for the dementia support program is a little bit different than the clinical program. So we'll go through it. It's 65 years or older. However, starting July 1st, which is in just a couple weeks now, which I can't believe, we'll be able to serve folks that are 55 years and older. So individuals that have that early onset. Someone needs to be a resident of either Alexandria, Arlington, Fairfax, Loudoun, or Prince William. And they either need to have a diagnosis of dementia or symptoms of dementia. We know that getting that diagnosis itself can be difficult for families sometimes. Navigating that system, figuring out where to go, convincing their loved one to go to the doctor 
can be hard. So if they don't actually have the diagnosis yet, they need to have those symptoms of dementia and then we can work with them to get that diagnosis. And they do need to be living in the community. So in their own homes, homes of a family member or caregiver or independent living, not in a nursing home or assisted living. And again, no cost to the program and they can make a referral on our website at www.raftnorthernvirginia.org or call me directly and we can go through it over the phone at 703-814-2701. And I wanted to, again, because I know this program goes beyond the Northern Virginia area, I was wondering if a program of this nature is available in other parts of the country. Are you aware of um, what might be out there? Yeah, so our program was actually based on a program that was in Kansas. They were a pilot program doing very, very similar work. And unfortunately, their pilot ended. So there's not anything that looks exactly like RAFT in other parts of the country, but there are certainly other programs that are serving folks with dementia. In our local area in DC, Iona Senior Services has a Dementia Navigators program which is wonderful, a similar program. You can hear more about that at www.iona.org. And if you're out of the DC metro area, checking in with your county or city's area agency on aging is always gonna be the best bet to figure out what is available in your area. And a really great resource besides your county or city websites is elder care which is a it's run through the federal government you can go on and you can search the resources in your area so that's eldercare.acl.gov so if there is something similar in your area it will certainly be on elder care very helpful now i understand that raft also provides trainings Tell us more about that. What are the topics that are covered? Uh, Where are they provided? How can folks find out more about them? Is it in person, online? What would our listeners want to know? So we offer trainings, again, totally free, on topics related to mental health and aging. So maybe managing mental illness with older adults, um, talking to older adults themselves on dementia and managing challenging behaviors. So we really tailor these trainings to the groups that we're working with, and it can be offered to really any community group, but often we're working with home healthcare agencies so they know how to serve clients, Um, adult daycare programs or other community groups like faith communities or villages. And we can offer the trainings at the organization's site or online. And again, the trainings are really tailored to them. So if they only have maybe a half an hour or an hour, we can meet those needs. If they want to do a longer training for the day, we're happy to do that as well. And we really try to make our trainings interactive where we want it to be useful for the folks that are really on the ground actually doing this work. And one of the things that we're able to offer is called a dementia simulation. It's about eight minutes long per person, and it just gives people a little bit of a taste of what it might be like to do 
daily activities with dementia, with the motor skill changes, the vision changes, the hearing changes, the memory changes, um, and all of those challenges to do some of the things that are normal in life. And it, it gives people just a little bit more empathy sometimes of what it might be like for people. Now, if someone's interested, again, shall they go on their website? Is there a special place to find how to do that? Yes, yes. Sorry, I, I missed that question. They can go to www.raftnorthernvirginia.org and you'll see a spot for trainings. You can request a training there. And that often will be done by either the dementia team, the clinical team, or sometimes we all come along depending on what the topic is. A lot of times I'm doing the trainings, sometimes it's our clinicians, if it is more of that kind of clinical type training, and sometimes it's the specialists. It all depends on what the topic is, who we're training, and who's available that day. Okay, and I was also wondering, given the amount of expertise that your specialists and you have, are you also in this area partnering with other kinds of community organizations to impart this uh, information and work with families? We, yeah, we do. We partner with, we formerly in our clinical program partner with senior living facilities, but we're also working very closely with area agencies on aging. We work very closely with adult protective services because a lot of our cases have crossover. We're working with home health care agencies to make sure they feel equipped to handle these cases of folks that have dementia with these challenging behaviors. We also work with mental health agencies, with faith communities, and with villages. And sometimes those are partnering on outreach, partnering on trainings, and sometimes it's also for consultation services. So we offer consultation services to families or to organizations that are working with an older adult with mental illness or dementia. We're able to provide that extra support or guidance on a case. So sometimes people don't want to be formally part of the whole program, or maybe just eligibility-wise, it's not the best fit but we're still able to provide those consultations. So it might be, you know, just guidance to a nursing home or to case managers on how to best support this person with uh, mental health challenges and or dementia with challenging behaviors. So I would say if you are interested in consultation, you know, what a case, what kind of cases um, might be helpful. Anytime you're, you know, you have someone who is an older adult who's experiencing mental health challenges or dementia and you just have some questions. So, you know, an example was we did a consultation for a man. He was trying to help his dad who was living with dementia. His dad had gotten the diagnosis but was still living alone, was experiencing hallucinations, was exhibiting a lot of very, very unsafe behavior and was absolutely refusing any help at all and didn't have a great relationship with his son. So we talked to him a little bit about, you know, what a guardianship process might look like. What are some ways to talk with his dad and provided that consultation service. We recently did another consultation for a nursing home about a new resident that they had who was getting really agitated and actually physically aggressive with another male resident. And every time she saw this male resident, she would get upset again. And after talking with the family, it was revealed that this woman had actually experienced several sexual assaults in her life. And now that she was 
in the nursing home, she had dementia. This other male resident was reminding her of those assaults and was triggering her. So our team was able to talk with the nursing home and with the care manager and with the family about ways that they can help her feel safe and help mitigate getting re-triggered over and over again by this other male resident. And consultations, again, are all free, and people can request them on our website at www.raftnorthernvirginia.org. One thing that also occurred to me is, is that the, the clinical settings and uh, people who might, for one reason or another, end up in the emergency room at I'm thinking in Arlington, Virginia Hospital Center, but it could be uh, another. We have a lot of large hospital settings in the Northern Virginia area. Do you work also with people in the more acute care settings as well? We do, yes. We work a lot with emergency services folks, so working with them before they actually get to that emergency room, um, and we work with the hospital staff as well. So oftentimes in our clinical program, what happens is people end up in the emergency room. From there, they end up in the state psychiatric hospital, and then we work very, very closely with those discharge planners to help figure out um, where they can come after that and be safe and successful. Another question that occurred to me is, is that, again, not only in this area, but throughout our country, we have many more different races and cultures and languages uh, spoken. How do your specialists handle that? Do you bring in someone who is an interpreter? And what would be the approach uh, for a situation like that? Language is definitely not a barrier. Citizenship is also not a barrier for the program. So we can bring in interpreters for the program um, to make sure that we're able to effectively talk to the family and to the person living with dementia. So the consultation then, just so I understand, this is a separate service, the consultation service. You have training, but you also have the consultation services. And um, but this is all free as well, as you said. Yes, absolutely. I like to think of the consultations as just sort of a little bit of extra, right? You you don't necessarily want a full training. You don't necessarily want to be a full client of the program, but you do have this specific situation where you want a little bit of expertise on it. You have a situation where you have some questions. You want a little bit of help. You want maybe some third parties to be able to look at it, and we're happy to come in and do that. Okay. And you've talked now about the, the, the RAFT clinical program as well as the, the dementia support program. How do you measure effectiveness? How do you explain to whoever who is in charge of this program <laughs> how, what you've accomplished and um, are there different ways of doing that? Yeah. So I always struggle with effectiveness in programs that are working directly with people because I think success looks very, very different for every single person. And what's success for me is different for success for you. But, you know, we are, we're funded by the state, so we do have to measure effectiveness. And our RAFT clinical team measures effectiveness by looking at the rate at which clients need to be readmitted to the state psychiatric hospital. And that team actually has a 98% success rate in helping clients stay in the community in these senior living facilities and not have to return to the state psychiatric hospital. 
Now, our dementia support program, again, we've only been around since January, but we have been measuring our effectiveness with each client by looking at the rates of caregiver stress. So we have different tools that when they start the program, we look at those rates of stress, and then when they're exiting the program, we look at those rates of stress again. One thing that also occurs to me, because there could be a, a negative possibility, is there ever been a time, maybe because... Uh, maybe the program has a very short length of time so far, but what if it's not working? Is there a different possibility for a different specialist to come in and work with the family or the person who has the dementia or the caregiver? There's always that possibility that we kind of have to look at things differently. And I was wondering if you kind of have a backup plan in case it's not working the way you thought it was going to. Yeah. And I think that's all always the case. We always have to, it's also always trial and error with these interventions. We're almost never going to come in and meet a family and immediately know what, exactly what they need and we're going to solve all their problems in a second. We're constantly working with them and figuring out what might work for this person and with this loved one and helping them do the same of that problem solving and that detective work. So it might be bringing in a different specialist sometimes to get that different point of view, consulting with our clinical team if it is more of a clinical issue, and then consulting and making sure we're working very closely with our community partners. And it's really a team approach. And I'm wondering, what does the future hold? I mean, right now you're telling uh, everyone, our listeners here, that uh, it's only in the Northern Virginia area. Is it going to expand throughout the state uh, and beyond? Uh, what what do folks need to know about the possibility of this program, which certainly at least initially sounds like it's very successful, but what's the future hold? Yeah, I mean, at this point, we are just funded for Northern Virginia. There are other regional projects in Virginia that are serving folks with dementia, but they're a little bit different. They're generally more residential based, so not in the community, but based within senior living facilities themselves. So our program right now is is just set for Northern Virginia, but I think it would be our dream that we would be able to expand much further. Okay. Well, one final question then. Give us again the information about how to learn more about the RAFT program and any other resources that you shared in case folks didn't write it down right away that they can do so now. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you can always learn more about the RAFT program at raftnorthernvirginia.org. People are also welcome to call me directly if you have questions, you want to make a referral or consultation or request a training. And my number is 703-814-2701. And a couple other resources that I had mentioned were DC's Iona Senior Services, which does have a similar program serving the DC area, and that's www.iona.org. And again, in looking, if you are out of the Northern Virginia area, but you do want a similar program, making sure you check in with your local county or city area agency on aging. And one great tool to find um, resources in your area is the Elder Care Locator, which can be found at eldercare.acl.gov. Any final comments? You know, I think that caring for a person living with dementia is 
extremely difficult. People, we always say, you know, you, you don't, no one really knows what it's like unless it's you're the actual caregiver. And a lot of the stuff that we're working on is sometimes easier said than done, but we really want to give people all of the tools and all the resources that we possibly can so they can be successful and then they can care for their loved one and care for themselves. And sometimes people feel very, very alone in this process. They feel really isolated as a caregiver. They don't feel like anyone else understands and as much as we can we we really do understand the struggles that you're all going through and we we want to be here for those caregivers and for those individuals living with dementia well i want to thank sydney palenkas dementia education and outreach coordinator with the regional older adult facilities mental health support team also known as raft so thank you so much for joining me today sydney Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. In case that you'd like to learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content that we have been producing for the last six and a half years. And you can also access the Aging Matters podcast on Apple and Spotify. Just check out the icons at the bottom of the website page. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. You can learn more about that company at inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Music.